I just really want to encourage you, as Colin mentioned, uh, about this week of prayer that we're going into. Make sure you're on the mailing list, contour.cc slash mailing list to get the, the guide and things. And really, do want to encourage you with the 12.30 Zooms. They last for about half an hour. And if you are busy at that time of day, you can still join in. You can, you can turn your video off and you can mute your mic. And you can still be part of this time. It's just one of the stories that really encouraged me from the, the, the time before of our week of prayer was there was a, a name that came up on our Zoom all week, Craig. And there was no video and he never spoke once. It was Craig. And uh, on the Friday, eventually I said, right, hey, listen, I need to know, who is this Craig? Who are you? Is it Craig McLeod or Craig Brown? And it turns out it was Craig Brown, who is a member over at Hillview, and he's a, a consultant who works at A&E. And he'd been joining in the Zoom times every day while he was on a shift at A&E. I'm sure there was no, like, I'm sure he was not, like, resuscitating anyone at the time. But you can imagine that he was still super busy. Uh, but he wanted to be part of those times, and then actually on the Friday it was his day off, but he was still out walking around about in Peter Cooper, just doing a few messages, still joining in on the Zoom, and it just blessed me, and he said it would be such an encouragement to him. So wherever you're at tomorrow at 12.30, I don't know how everyone can manage, but if you can, join in the Zoom, turn your video off, mute your mic if you need to, but these are, these are precious times. Just encourage you uh, to, to think about that Monday to Friday of this week. Thanks. I have to tell you, I'm just so encouraged to be here. What a gift it is to be part of Contour Community Church. I'm just so thrilled at what God is doing. We were just reflecting in our prayer meeting this morning. Paul read some words from Ephesians chapter 2 that remind us that God is building us up together as his church. Living stones being built up together to be the very dwelling place of God. This is God who is described in the Old Testament as the heavens, even the highest heavens cannot contain them. And actually, we here in Kintour Community Church are being built up together, all our diversity and difference, into the dwelling place of God. And I feel like I'm here with you guys. Such a gift. Praise God. Hey, I wonder if the name Anastasia Mayers means anything to you. So we're going to get a photo of Anastasia uh, this is Anastasia, you can't see it so well, but this is Anastasia on the left, uh, and that is her mum, Keisha, on the right, and then in the middle is a gentleman by the name of John Goodwin. Anna is a student from Aberdeen University, studying philosophy and physics, so she's smart. Uh, but she's also someone who works at Freshmex on School Hill. So if you like a burrito, and you've been to Fresh Nights before, maybe Anna was the one who rolled it for you. So, uh, so she is a student, she works at Fresh Nights, but also Anna is now the second youngest person ever to go into space. Because you maybe saw in the news just recently over the last couple of weeks, uh, these three and others, there she is in the space shuttle, they were blasted into space a week last Thursday after winning a place on Virgin Galactic's first space tourism flight. And here is Anna, either about 300,000 or so feet up above the surface of the Earth, and looking, well I guess she's looking up, but we would say looking down on Earth, uh, flowing around, they had about five or six minutes of zero gravity up there. Just incredible. What an adventure. What an experience. 
I wonder how you would feel about that adventure, that experience. I guess in a room like this, some of us would be like desperate to go on the first space tourism flight. And maybe others of us wouldn't be so sure. They'd be like, no, no, I'll leave in 10 years until this is, you know, had a few test runs and maybe the prices <laughs> come down a fair bit as well. I mean, it's an awesome opportunity, great adventure, but surrounded with a sense of awe, a sense of trepidation. Um, and, you know, when they were going up there, they experienced G-forces on their body uh, up to four times that of what we experience here on Earth. And then just flying around for those few minutes, looking out to the darkness of space. And I imagine that they were just so conscious of the, the fragility of that spacecraft they were in relative to the vast expanse of space. Or, or who knows, maybe, maybe the wonder of it all just would, would take over and that delight would, would happen. But regardless, still a precarious, vulnerable place to be. And as I thought about this amazing trip that our Aberdonian friend was able to take recently, it struck me as perhaps something of a picture of what is coming before us in the coming days and months. Colin just so helpfully mentioned the idea of seasons that, we're, that we enter, and we're entering this new season of the school year. And we, as Kintour Community Church, as a community of faith, we have our own adventure to take, day by day, week by week, probably not into space, <laughs> but all of us stepping out with God into where he has called us to be. Many of us will be thinking of the return of another school year. Perhaps you're not, uh, perhaps you're not affected by that, but there's this sense of this rhythm of new activity that comes in these various seasons. And, and I'm going to be thinking in this week of prayer about how God might use us in the, in the place he has put us. And yes, we have some important things that are centralized that we come together to work on. We have this new building that we are preparing to enter. We, we have the ongoing pastoral search that is happening just now. We have hopes of outreach activities. Colin mentioned holiday Bible clubs, Christmas outreaches that are going to happen. So whether it's in sort of specific defined moments like that, or whether it's just in our normal lives, friends, God is leading us forward. And that can be, that should be an exciting and an exhilarating thing. Did you hear what I said? God is leading us forward. God is with you tomorrow morning, whenever the alarm goes off. And maybe the mundane reality of what's before you kind of can, can land on us a little bit. But God is there. God has called you to this time and this place. He has wired you to affect the lives of those that you are around. What an incredible reality. It's amazing to think, God, what will you do in Kintour Community Church over this next year? But just like our friend Anna and those other space tourists, while it is an exciting mission that God has for us, it happens in a very serious, very dangerous, very difficult, stark context. And sometimes it's important for us to consider that. Yes, we're, we're praying for wonderful adventures with God this year, but it is right to acknowledge the sobering atmosphere within which that happens. We live, friends, 
in what has been referred to since the earliest centuries of church history as a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. This world is not as God originally intended it to be. It's marred. It is living, the Bible teaches, under a curse. Romans 8 verse 21 speaks of creation as being in bondage to corruption. That is, this world is in a kind of slavery to decay. And we see this around about us. Don't we? The, the, the scriptures use all sorts of different pictures to describe this reality. And I thought, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we came to the end, or, or two or three weeks ago, we came to the end of our John series. And I thought, okay, it might just be interesting while John's fresh in our minds. How does John describe this idea of this fallen world that we're in? So as early as verse 5 of chapter 1, John writes this, The light, Jesus, shines in the darkness. Shines in the darkness. There is the light of God, the life of Christ, and it says that he was the light of men. And, and Jesus, the, the light, shines in the darkness. And this idea is probably one of the most prevalent pictures that John comes back to again and again to describe the mess this world is in. The darkness. You all know the fear of when you're in an unsettling, dangerous place and it's pitch black. That's one of the pictures that John uses. Uh, but there are many other passages too. When John the Baptist, early again in John, sees Jesus coming towards him, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away, not just the odd issue here and there, the odd political difference, the odd strife. No, no. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There is a global cosmic aspect to this. Here's some other language used in John to describe this fallen world we're in. Listen to these pictures that are used. Wilderness, night, thirst, judgment, hunger, theft, murder, destruction, death, slavery, trouble, sorrow. These are all pictures used in the Gospel of John to describe the curse that this world is under. And, and then John, the Apostle John, not only wrote a Gospel, but wrote three letters. And in the first of his letters in the New Testament, it makes clear that this idea of the, the fallenness of this world is not just an external reality that we can muse about or ponder, but actually we're involved in this. So I'll just read, if, if, if you want to turn your Bibles towards right the very end of the Scriptures, 1 John chapter 1, I'm going to read from verse 5. Listen, first of all, to the crossover with John's Gospel. I love when you see this. This is the message we have heard from you and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. And then here's the key that I want us to hear, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If we say that we're not part of the problem, we're not living under any curse, we're not engulfed in and affected by and walking and acting in darkness. If that's the case, that if that's the way that we think of how we relate to this messed up world, the scriptures say we are deceiving ourselves. Now what I want us to think about is, where did all this come from? If it's true that this world is in slavery to decay, and if it's true that we are caught up in that and that we are part of that, where does, where does that come from? Why is that the way it is? And this is an important question for us to ask because um, as we think about our friends and family in this world who maybe don't believe yet, um, that the world is messed up, that the world is in turmoil, that, 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 the, that we all individually make mistakes as part of that, is something that I think everyone would accept. We all know, everyone knows, none of us are perfect. But, that this sin is part of a cosmic curse over this world that all of us are living under, this is not quickly or easily accepted. So it's important for us to know, what does the Bible say all about this? So I invite you to turn from towards the end of your Bible right to the very beginning. We're going to look in Genesis chapter 1 to 3. The very first words that we get in Genesis chapter 1 in the scriptures are, In the beginning, God. That is to say, the scriptures present that the most fundamental reality there is, is that there is a God, that God exists. You know what, the Bible actually doesn't take a tremendous amount of effort or time trying to argue for the existence of God. It is assumed. It is the most foundational rock upon which our lives are built. Now there's all sorts of very clever people who have spent a lot of time digging into very good arguments for that. But here, first four words, we just get, in the beginning, God. And in the first few verses, we are given a glimpse of the beautiful community that there is between the Godhead, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So verse one, we're introduced to God the Father. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, we're introduced to the Spirit of God. It says, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then in verse 3, we're introduced to the Son of God, Jesus, because it says, and God said, God spoke, let there be light. And there was light. Now, again, with our minds thinking of the Gospel of John, maybe your mind goes back to John chapter 1. How is Jesus described? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, here. <laughs> and the Word was God. Jesus was there in the very beginning. Jesus is the revelation and the declarative, the, 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 the authoritative declaration of God's will. This is who Jesus is. Remember it says, and all things were made through him and without Jesus was not anything made that was made. So this is what's happening now. God speaks through Jesus the word and this world 
comes into being. So here in the very first words of the Bible, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, creating out of nothing. So beautiful, so wonderful, so bountiful, their love and harmony that they caused it to spill out from themselves to create this beautiful world in which we live. So light and darkness and sky and stars and suns and moons and fish and seas and birds and livestock are created, all punctuated in God's perfect sovereign wisdom with this declaration that creation, that it was good. And then, as the pinnacle of his creation, let's read from verse 26 of John chapter 1. And my eyesight is getting worse because I can barely read this. Uh, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, you hear that? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the community of God together. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth. Jump down please to verse 31. It said, God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Then in Genesis chapter two, we get the account of God putting Adam to work in the garden of Eve. And, and this is where the people who are, who are the gardeners among us get really excited and happy because we get this reality that gardening was a pre-fall reality. Do, do you get, I mean, I struggle to understand this. People who love working in the garden are like, yes, pre-sin, pre-fall, working in the garden. I'm like, God, I don't understand it. Maybe God has some work to do with me in that regard. I need to enjoy the blessing of his creation more, right? But um, let's keep going. Chapter 2, let's read from verse 9. It says this, Out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Jump down please to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So the, there are all these beautiful trees, stunning to look at and with amazing fruit to eat. And every tree in the garden but one is given as a gift of God's blessing from heaven to his creation for them to enjoy. Every tree but one. And that one tree that is kept back, is kept back not out of any horrible, uh, harsh motives of God, but it's kept back for their protection. And towards the end of chapter 2, we get the account of the creation of Eve and the coming together of Adam and Eve as husband and wife. And then there's this final verse of, the, of chapter 2 where it says, verse 25, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Just speaks of the, the purity and the goodness and the peace 
and harmony that there is in this creation between God and his world, between God and mankind, between man and woman, between mankind and the garden, the rest of creation that they are in. So there is this beauty and sustenance and pleasure and purpose and relationship. This is how God created this world to be. And then in Genesis chapter 3, it all goes wrong. Temptation comes through Satan in the form here in Genesis chapter 3 of a serpent. And as we look at these verses in Genesis chapter 3, I want us to consider some lessons, some warnings that we can take into this week, into this next season, as we think about life in this messed up world. The serpent comes at Eve and taps in to certain weaknesses that all of us know as human beings. And these are things that we can be aware of and should be as we seek to honour God in this world that he has put before us. So let's read the first little bit of Genesis chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God has made. The first thing I want us to notice is, beware friends, this week, in this next season, beware the craftiness of the serpent. So he's called crafty in verse 1. And then in the second part of verse 1, we see in his question to Eve, we see this proven to be the case. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now what's the answer to that question? The answer is no. God actually didn't say that. Thank you very much, serpent, trying to get at me here. Remember, they had access, God was very clear, they had access to every single tree in the garden apart from one of them they weren't to touch. And Eve actually kind of highlights this in her response, verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But here comes the serpent, now just subtly dropping in this idea that God wants to stop your fun. God is out to get you. God is out to keep you back from the joy that you want to have. This is what the serpent does. He's crafty. Satan, the devil, no longer comes at us in the form of a snake, but still so real and so determined to draw us away from God. Friends, he was crafty then, he was, and he is crafty now. Cunning, sneaky, raising little questions, sowing seeds of doubt, twisting truths. Is this not a reality that we all wrestle with? You know, what's the big deal here, this thing I want to do? You know, God's just trying to keep me from really understanding and, and living in the full reality of who I'm made to be. God's trying to head me in. That's, these, are the, these are the lies that come to us. Beware the craftiness of Satan. God is not about keeping you from lasting pleasure, from goodness, from satisfaction. He loves you. He wants the best for you. There is an eternal garden of delights to be found in him and in the way that he has called us to live. 
But it may not always look like that. It does not always look like that in this world. But don't let Satan twist reality so that you would doubt God and his heart for you. Beware the craftiness of the serpent. Secondly, beware the lies of the serpent. Verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Verse 1, sneaky, crafty. And here in verse 4, it's just a barefaced lie. God had established an order to creation. Men and women to live within the confines of their created boundaries. And the serpent comes along and says, no one can put any limitations on you. You will not surely die. How dare God suggest such a thing. And again, friends, this can so readily be the assumed wisdom of our age. You can do what you want. You can determine your own ultimate reality. No simple choice of yours can cause you harm. Don't live under these apparent restrictions that God has put on you. Nothing will affect you, will harm you if you throw off these restrictions and live however you feel. That is the message that comes at us again and again and again. They're lies. Don't listen to them. We are not created to just live as the lords of our own universe. However we please, God has created us to live within certain confined realities for our own good with him in the ways that he meant for this world to be. Beware the lies of Satan. Thirdly, beware the desire for deity, the desire to be like God in all of us. Verse 5, for God knows, the serpent says, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is kind of the, the same idea as verse 4. You will not surely die. That's the sort of negative way to put it. There are no boundaries on you. Now the, the serpent in verse 5 is saying it positively. You can be like God. That's what's at stake here. The reason God doesn't want you to do this is because if you eat this fruit, you will be like God. Who's in charge of what's right and what's wrong? You are. Eve, Satan, is saying, don't surrender to these shackles that God wants to put on you. Own your full self-determination that should be yours. And again, this is not just so foundational to how we live. We are prone to just assume that we know best. That our path is the right one. My eyes are wide open. I understand good and evil. I understand the way this world is meant to be. The serpent is zeroing in here on something that is so appealing to us. I don't need anyone outside of me, my own wisdom, my own ethics, my own boundaries that I have established, whether that's God or whether that's any external morality or, or authoritative source. All I need is my own enlightenment. All I need are for my eyes to be open to what's right and wrong. It's, it's deadly, friends. So is the next one. Number four, beware the desire for short-term satisfaction. Now, interestingly, it's not this idea of the desire to be God that is the that is front and center as as Adam and Eve sin. 
You might expect to read, you know, let's read verse 5 again. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, you might expect verse 6 to say, so when the woman heard that, when the woman heard that she would be like God, she took of the fruit. But that's not what you read. Let's read verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. There was a nearer, more immediate satisfaction to be had. Forget this idea of being God. Forget this idea of knowing right and wrong. The, the thing that caught Eve was just, that looks really good. This looks awesome. This, this is going to taste nice. And that was ultimately what led her into sin. Now, now to be sure, this is connected to this deeper, deeper desire for us to act like gods of our own world, where, where we think we know what is best for us and things like that. But, but the presenting reality was that she saw that this fruit looked good. She wanted it. And she did. And again, it's interesting as we think about our friends and family, you know, and we think about our own lives, not many of us or not many of our community neighbors would say, oh yeah, I want to be like God. I want to be able to understand the, the, the complexities of what is good and, and evil and all these sorts of things. Not many would say that, but our lives, our actions, often speak to that kind of attitude. Looks good. Looks tasty. Must be good for me. I want it. I'm taking it. Sometimes these choices can seem a small thing, friends. But at their root, it's a rejection of God. It's a rejection of who He is. A rejection of His wisdom, His goodness, and His blessing. And it is the elevation of self to the place of ultimate authority. It's idolatry. It's deadly. Beware the desire for short-term satisfaction. And finally, beware lazy, thoughtless, passive participation. Let's uh, read verse 6. What we need to know here as we read verse 6 is, is how tragically passive Adam's role is in all of this. We have no idea what Adam was doing during this tempting of Eve by the serpent. But listen to what we hear in verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. Tragically passive. We know that Adam was there, but apart from that, it seems he was silent. His wife offered him something, and he took it, and he ate it. And in that, sin came into this world. And again, coming up, relate to that. So many things come at us, right? I just want to encourage you just to give a few examples. Think of what comes before you as you're watching TV. Think of the various things that come at you, whether while you're reading your emails, 
whether it's like a, an email from Curry's about the next sale that's coming up and the temptations that can rise up then, Bethany's smiling because she knows that's a real one for me, I love tech gadgets, and I get those emails and I think, hmm, maybe I need a new gadget, right, or whatever it might be, or maybe it's your work emails and the pressures that come at you there and the trajectory that you're on in terms of your career, the things that come at us that you can just passively just let them affect the way you are. Think of your social media feeds that you just passively, tragically, death, what's it called, doom scroll. Just up and down, just all that stuff that you're, you're taking in. How much of it are we passively just taking what is offered to us as Adam did here in this story? A great tragedy occurred when Adam responded like this and we should beware the same thing happening to us. So Adam and Eve reject God. They reject the boundaries that God has placed on them. Their eyes are opened to the reality of their vulnerability before God and sin and shame enter this world such that verse 7 says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin cloths. And in the next verse, they try and hide themselves from God. Such was their sin and shame and their sense of despair. Tragic. But God does not leave them hidden. God does not leave them hidden. And, and it's, it's wonderful, just if you just cast your eye over verses 8 to 13, look at the way God comes to them. In His grace and in His kindness, He comes first with questions. Just in the same way that Jesus did so often as He engaged with people who were far from Him, He, he came with a question such that they might draw out for themselves the reality of what was going on here. God does that. He says, where are you? Who told you that you were naked? of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat. What is this that you have done? He comes with questions and then he does come with news of a judgment of, of what this, this cosmic trespass will mean. And verses 14 to 24 of chapter 3 lay all out. Cast your eye over them and you'll see a few things. There will now be disorder and violence in creation. Do we not see that? Have we not seen that? in these recent weeks and months. There will be pain and turmoil in this world, both physical and relational. There's tension now. There's, there's aggression between Adam and Eve. And, and relational pain and physical pain has entered the world. Have we not known of that reality in recent months? Pain, struggle, difficulty. There will be toil and decay and difficulty and prickliness and hard things and difficult things in this world and then most significantly in terms of this curse that comes that death enters the world verse 19 it says that we will return to the ground for you are dust and to dust you shall return that was never said until god proclaims this curse over this world so there's death and then secondly significantly there is disconnectedness from god from verse 22 to the end of the chapter, Adam and Eve are sent away from Eden, away from God's goodness and his presence. And within just eight verses, the first blood is shed between humans 
as Cain murders his brother Abel. Strife and hatred and jealousy and anger enters the world and has continued from then, from age to age to age. And it is exactly the same as this world we're living in just now. As we gather here together today, this is the reality. This is the solemn, scary, difficult context within which we are to pursue this adventure that God has for us over this next season. We still see the effects of sin all around about us. It's a solemn reality. And it is worth us considering this and keeping this in mind. Friends, huge sections of scripture are given over to God warning his people who he loves. Beware the, uh, the, the, the lure of sin. Beware the power of sin. Beware the, the consequences of what happens when you walk away from me and reject me and my ways and pursue a different path. Now, we, in our church community here in Kintour, we, I think rightly, we rightly tend to spend the vast majority of our time focusing on the solution for sin. That there is a Savior, that Jesus came to shine his light in the darkness. I think it's good and right that we spend the vast majority of our time thinking about those things. But unless we understand the brutal, devastating, horrific backdrop against which Jesus' saving work happens, we will not fully grasp the wonder of all that he is and all that he has done for us. Yes, there is. I hope that you're praying day by day that you would know the reality of us being on a great adventure together for God's glory here as Contour Community Church. We have so much to look forward to in this coming school year. But let us pray not to be complacent. Let us pray that we wouldn't be naive to the temptations of the reality of sin that we face in this world. This is a harsh and sobering environment we're surrounded by. And we need to not forget that. That's the point of this message. We need to not forget the difficult reality that we're in. And then as we think about that, we need to always remember we do need to have hope, and we do have hope in Jesus. We've just been singing gospel truth, song after song after song this morning. We have hope in Jesus. And just as we close, I want to point to you a little glimpse of grace we get in Genesis chapter 3, which points forward to the goodness of Jesus Christ. There is this judgment from God which is being laid out. And between verse 19 where it speaks of the reality of death, and verse 23 and verse 24, where they're sent out from the garden, is just dropped in, in verse 21, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. God does not leave them in their shame. And do you see what happens? A sacrifice is made in the garden, such that God can take the skin of a sacrificed animal, and the sacrifice was one that would bring wholeness and removal of shame and freedom from that sense of despair, and, and also protection from curse of sin in, in this world that they were living in just now. And friends, the wonder 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we do not need to live under the curse of death anymore. That has been done away with at the cross of Jesus Christ. A sacrifice was made. This is what Genesis 3.21 was pointing forward to. A sacrifice was made at the cross. One that would bring perfect wholeness and freedom from shame. Perfect protection for us from the curse of sin. We see the effects of sin all around us. We should not sweep that under the carpet. But dear friend, you do not need to live under the curse of sin. We are free in Jesus Christ. And one day as he comes again, as he raises us to life, redeems this fallen creation, redeems our broken bodies, we will know the fullness of the good news of Jesus Christ. Can we say together as Cantor Community Church, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the horrific, awful sin of the world. And that's then at that point, go forward in his strength with great joy, great confidence in Jesus, that he, his light will shine, not just in our lives, but in the lives of this community that he has put us in, in this next season, for his glory. Maybe, maybe, let's pray. Lord, it's a sobering thing to think of the difficulty and pain and struggle and hardship of this broken world. Lord, we see in our own lives, we see ways that we contribute to that reality and how we choose our own path of selfishness and carelessness, rejecting your way and choosing our own way. Lord, we see it in our own lives, but we also just see on a big level wars and famines and natural disasters and so much hardship in this world, God. So much struggle our friends and family are going through. Father, we pray, give us a broken heart for this broken world under this curse of sin. And God, I pray that you would grant us courage and conviction and that adventurous spirit to know that we are free and we have been set free by Jesus, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and we can shine his light into this dark, dark world. Lead us forward. Keep us from the temptations of sin. Lead us not into temptation, we pray, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever.